This week on the Saber.com podcast, we focus on Virginia basketball after two close losses to Duke and Florida State and the regular season finale looming against Louisville. Let's go. The online source for the serious Wahoo fan, the Saber.com. Well, here we go with another edition of the Saber.com podcast. March Madness is officially upon us and well, uh, emphasizing the mad part of it, I guess, for UVA fans, we're all just kind of a little surly and not in the best of moods and spirits here at the, the last couple of games. Very tough loss at home on senior day with uh, UVA. The the heave at the end, Florida State hitting the three-point shot to win by one. After UVA pretty much was in control the vast majority of that game, so tough to kind of let that one slip away. But uh, a fantastic effort once again versus Duke. Raucous crowd earlier in the week and coming up just a little bit short to a team that you know, could very well win the whole thing. And Coach K was very complimentary after he got his uh, jersey of armor. What was that gift that they gave him? I couldn't quite tell. <laughs> Even being in the arena, I couldn't tell what the heck that thing was. But, uh, you know, he's on his final tour getting all the, the gifts, raking in the gifts from the other programs. But he did have some nice things to say in the post game about, you know, it would be a sin if UVA was left off of the uh, the big dance and whatnot. So, Gentlemen, let's let's get your thoughts as we bring in uh, Chris Wright, editor of Saber.com and associate editor Chris Horn. Gentlemen, it, it's been a tough week. What did you make of those two games? Which one did you want to tackle first, Chris Wright? Well, the the thing was like a replica jersey plaque. So it was like a little okay. jersey-shaped hunk of metal, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I mean, either either game is fine. The the gist of what it means this past week is, you know, it's, it's Bro- Brooklyn or bust, right? Like at this point, like you have to win in Brooklyn to make the bracket. I don't think there's any other path into the tournament. You know, maybe if you make the final and the whole bunch of chaos happens or something where a, a crap load of bubble teams also lose bad games, like quad three games to Florida state, then maybe, but I just don't see that happening. So it's Brooklyn or bust at this point based on what happened last week. But, you know, you had two games back-to-back that felt really, really different. Just, you know, like in terms of being in the building and, you know, what what, what the juice felt like. It was two very different feelings uh, in the exact same spot for me. I was in the exact same seat in both cases on the baseline right beside the opposing team's bench. And yeah, just two totally different feelings in terms of atmosphere. So, you know, Virginia lost both and that basically knocked them out of bubble consideration. Now it becomes, can you auto play your way in by winning the ACC tournament? Yeah. And Chris Horn, we can get into some of the, you know, specific lineups and and different moves and things and individual players, but yeah, what was your impression, you know, from where you were, you were watching both of those games in terms of just the the dynamic, yeah, like like Chris is saying, I, I happen to be in attendance for both of them, so I can speak to that a little later on. But yeah, what it was just a very odd <laughs> contrast from that, you know, just in terms of the number of people in the in the stands first first and foremost, and mm-hmm. and the energy overall. Yeah, I mean, it was good. It was good to see with Duke uh, with the turnout there, so many people showing out, and the ruckus atmosphere that we've kind of become a, used to under Coach Bennett. Um, at JPJ the past several years you know I mean I think in, in general this year you know it doesn't feel like the crowd has been as ruckus as we've seen them in previous years and part you know part of me you know I think the pandemic certainly had a had some role to play with that 
um, at least to start the year. So, you know, hopefully, you know, but it, you know, unfortunately, you know, I think of any of any of Virginia teams that needed <laughs> the extra boost from the crowd and that home home court advantage we've uh, come uh, become accustomed to, I think it's this year's team. Uh, certainly they could, they, you know, with that limited kind of rotation and things like that. So, but yeah, no, it was great to see the, the Duke, uh, Duke atmosphere. Uh, yeah. What, I mean, Jeff, you mentioned your thoughts. I'd be interested to just as from a fan's perspective, just what did you think um, just, just being there and, and the, uh, the differences between those two games? Well, you know, the uh, only other game we had been to was a fairly Dickinson game uh, earlier in the season. And that was, you know, obviously a completely different atmosphere, even uh, compared to these two with it being non-conference and fairly Dickinson coming in. I think they were like one in 10 or something on the year at the time. And so that was just one of those almost like a scrimmage type atmosphere with with maybe half full arena at the time. And which that's one, not, you know, not, yeah, that's that's kind of normal for those types of games. Right, right. Yeah. So that was expected and, you know, not, not really a big deal there. But, um, yeah, just entering the building, it's just a whole different level of excitement and the buzz. Uh, you know, we, we kind of got there right as the ceremony was happening with Coach K being, you know, I loved how Tony just kept it short and sweet. Let's here's your thing. Let's 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 play the game. <laughs> it wasn't any long drawn out thing, but um happened to luck into some pretty good seats so from my perspective you could just the difference was noticeable i have to say you know no slight to our guys but it's just one thing to watch duke on tv but when you're that close <laughs> looking at them on the floor and looking at them compared to our guys it's kind of night and day i mean it, it's like you've got an nba rookie first team out there versus g leaguers basically it's kind of what it felt like to me, just initial like eyeball test without even the game starting yet. So at first, you know, it, it, it credit to our guys and, you know, kudos to them and the coaching staff for when you're just physically and almost kind of mentally overmatched in terms of them coming in with all the hype and the accolades and these high recruits for our guys to have given them all that they wanted and for Bancaro to, you know, have had his two lowest scoring games of the year. Only time he scored in single digits all year is against Gardner and the Hoos. So just an incredible effort. And for Coach K to say such complimentary things after the game, I wonder if he had, would have been so complimentary if we had actually beaten them <laughs> two times. He's no, notoriously uh, nicer in his comments after he, uh, he beats you. But uh, it, it's just, it, it was, it was fun. That first half was something, you know, with Kihei carrying us six threes and a half. I couldn't really tell guys, I look forward to hearing your perspective on if Duke really did anything differently in the second half, or if Kihei just wasn't as aggressive, I, he, you know, he didn't have as many wide open opportunities maybe as he had in the first half, but it just seemed like he wasn't even looking for the three ball at all which I thought was a little weird since he had been so hot in the first half. And, you know, that was basically the whole UVA offense that first half with I think 25 points and he had 18 of them. So yeah, it was, it was a little frustrating to not see any the contributions from the front court. Like we saw in the, the matchup at Cameron, you, you knew Duke was going to adjust and not let us have, you know, 52 points in the paint or whatever it was, but um, you know, Kafaro had a tough game. He had to feel for him uh, several you know, close looks for several guys that just didn't go in. I thought, you know, 
I was uh, only like today or maybe yesterday, I finally got my voice back and it's been a few days since that game. So uh, <laughs> I had to, uh, had to let the referees know my opinion on a, a few of their uh, decisions <laughs> along the way. Let's just put it that way. So, man, they, they let a lot of physical contact go, but then they would call some ticky tack stuff. So it was one of those games where it was just hard for both teams, I think, to get a gauge on what can I do? What can I not do? How aggressive can I be? And UVA does not do well in those kind of environments over the years we've seen where the refs are kind of caught in the middle of like, oh, yeah, we'll call that one, you know, and, oh, but this, these hard fouls we're going to let go. You know, the, there were some elbows to the face. There were, there were things that weren't even looked at as like hard fouls. It was just the, the whole game I thought had kind of an odd feel because of that. You know, I'm all for letting them play or don't let them play but you got to kind of call it both ways. And this, that didn't seem like that kind of game. And now would that have helped UVA? Who knows? We probably could have gotten to the free throw line a few more times. Duke certainly had no trouble getting to the free throw line in that game. So, you know, the, the more aggressive team is going to win those type of matchups. And that seemed to be what Duke had going on for him in that one. Whereas, like you said, Chris, Wright in the Florida state game, it was lackluster. It just seemed from the very beginning um, you know, there was a lot of stuff at the end we can talk about, but I thought the game was kind of lost there in the middle of the, the first half. My son needed a drink. We went to go get a drink. By the time we came back, they had gone on a 10 0 run. <laughs> and I was like, where did we were in complete control of this game? Like, Florida State couldn't do anything on offense. All of a sudden, they had the lead. So, that I think is where the game kind of changed, where it, it turned into a little more of a back and forth sort of game where it didn't need to be. This was a terrible Florida State team. Yes, they were tall, but. They had been losing. I think they had lost like eight of nine coming in. Their season is over. They were playing a bunch of bench guys, basically second teamers, because their whole starting lineup has basically been hurt for many weeks. So, I mean, you got to come out on on senior day with with more urgency or maybe the pressure was on and we knew we had to win. So we were forcing some things. I don't know. It was just a very odd game. Uh, both of them were kind of odd in their own unique ways. So. Chris Wright, I'll throw this, throw it to you from there. What was the word I had trouble saying last year on the podcast? The soliloquy. I'm sorry. You can, you can chop that down. In, no, no, in no, 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 no. Because I think that perfectly <laughs> captures where fans are right now. Like, oh, but Duke, oh, we almost had to, oh, Florida State, eh, Florida State wasn't very good. Eh, well, now what? The season's kind of, uh, right. There's this meandering <laughs> kind of melancholy vibe to the fan yeah. base right now. Yes. And I think that plays into the home crowds a little bit. So you know, we got a lot to unpack out of there, but just starting with the atmosphere, Duke's always more electric than other games, Oh yeah, no matter yeah. what. So, you know, that bar is really high. The other games this year, I think there's a lot that plays into that team mediocrity. It's hard for fans to get their juice going for whatever, you know, if it's not Duke, if it's not Carolina and this year's home schedule has had Basically, no one, Duke, right? Everyone else, Clemson, yeah, all right, whatever. Boston, all right, whatever, right? Like, yeah. There's a nat natural tendency to that for fans. The way you overcome that is if your team's pretty good. So there, there's some of that. Atmosphere-wise, though, is not what I meant between the two games. The intensity level on the floor is what I noticed that was so different. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. my seat's on the baseline taking photos. The intensity level, not even close, from either team Saturday to what it was Wednesday, not even close, right? Yeah. Just in terms of the, 
the noticeable intensity. I'm not saying the players weren't playing hard. Like, I don't mean effort. I mean, intensity, like how, you know, how much other things are you seeing? Like on, on facial expressions, uh, yeah. high fives on the side. Right. So until like Franklin makes the shot to go ahead late and he's like, Oh yeah, he's celebrating and doing all of that. Where was that? Yeah. It didn't exist this mm-hmm. entire game until you felt like you had pulled off a miracle when you almost gave it away. And then sure enough, you did give it away. So yep. the intensity just wasn't there. So that to me, just starting from that uh, in what was a must win game. And I think the players, no matter how much they claim, they don't look at the bubble and blah, 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 blah. It's human nature. You know, what's going on at least to some degree, it's almost impossible to insulate yourself from it completely. Even if you're just looking at it from just a conference standing standpoint, let's, let's take them at the word and say they ignore bracketology. If you're looking at the conference standings, you still knew double buy was in play and all that sort yep. of stuff. Yep. Right. Yes, you take each game at a time, but you do still know where you stand and in, in, in your conference. That's something that all players and coaches at least have some awareness of. Um, not because it changes how you play, because it shouldn't. Because I do agree with players there. Like every game should be treated the same in terms. Well, if that's yep. true, if you are ignoring all of that, where was the intensity? Yep. Right. It just wasn't there to me. So you know, and we and we can work backwards from there. If you want to just say let's let's tackle Duke, the intensity was high. What did, what did that mean? Like, what did it look like? That, that sort of thing to me. I, I thought intensity aside, I thought, um, what was the other thing you said? Oh, Clark. What was your question about Clark? How, how could we, where were the other guys? Basically, it was the Clark <laughs> show in the first half. God, I mean, if he misses any of those threes, you know, we're, we're down 10. <laughs> yeah, it's a blowout if he misses any of those shots. Yeah, I, I yeah. forgot what you said. Yeah, so, yeah, he goes crazy, right? That's, he had never done that before. He had only made three or more three-pointers a handful of times. I, I forget what the exact number was. It's in my double bonus from the Duke game, but the six threes and a half was, was nuts. And it did keep Virginia in the game. What happened was Jeremy Roach decided or Duke's coaches decided or both or all of the above decided, yo, like we got to stop this key. thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what it looked like. Cause Jeremy Roach mm-hmm. started going, uh, Lock, you know, lock and trail through screens. There was no hesitancy on how we're going to read the screen. We're not, how we're going to deal with the screen. It was like, stay on key. Hey, it was a different mission. So from really a little bit late in the first half, there was a little bit of that. Most of the second half, especially when Roach was defending Clark in the Duke game, he just didn't get many looks. Now he did have one to start the first half because Roach started, excuse me, the second half because Roach started the second half on the bench. So he did get one very good look early in the second half. And then he got one late. That was when it was 52-51. Virginia had numerous chances to get over the hump and really set the building on fire, right? Yes. And that was one of them. Yeah, open three. He had been shooting the ball well all night. And he just barely missed it. He didn't miss it by much. So I think most of it was Duke said, Kihei is not beating us. And then the other guys did show up in the second half. And there were multiple opportunities at 52-51 through that stretch that Virginia just couldn't get a shot to go down. Or when they did, Duke matched it. Virginia couldn't get a stop or, or, or however you want to frame it. But, you know, the intensity level of that game was good. And the competitiveness level of that game was good. Uh, Kihei showing up big time was good. You know, they just couldn't quite get over the hump in the Duke game specifically. Yeah, a couple of late timely threes there certainly helped Duke's cause. I'm pretty sure Ben Carroll had more air balls than he had field goals. Who would have thought that? Uh, I counted four. I was trying to adjust the crowd chant from <laughs> DUI to airball. I thought that was a little uh, less tacky, but hey, you know, 
<laughs> the who crew is going to who crew. <laughs> so yeah, that was something, but um, I'll throw this one to you, Chris Horn, in terms of the bigs. We, we'd had some progress. It felt like with, with Kafaro and Shedrick and the dynamic with Poppy starting and Shedrick mm-hmm. really coming off the bench and coming into his own, some double doubles. I think we said we were eight and one of uh, Shedrick gets a double double this year. So hard to, get those guys the ball sometimes uh sometimes there's just too many because of the three-point shooting woes overall as a team there's there's trouble Mm -hmm. getting it into the middle to them and lots of hands (laughs) slapping around at the ball which is tough for any big guy to kind of maneuver in that sort of setting down low and you know obviously duke that was their one of their missions to to play better than they did in the first matchup uh, with those two guys not you know, going crazy offensively, but you know, Florida state's a very tall team. I think I saw somewhere there, the literally the tallest team in division one this year, even with kind of the, the second team playing, there's a seven foot one guy. That's like a guard out there just dribbling and shooting. And, you know, Reese Beekman's what six, four. And we had him right. on that guy for some of the game and then went to kind of the smaller lineup in the second half. So like Chris Wright's saying, even from the very beginning, there were after the tip, the opening tip, Kafaro and I think it was Kafaro and Statman both went to guard the same guy, which left a guy wide open right under the basket. So from the right. very first play, it was like, what is going on? Who You didn't know who you're guarding to start the game? Like, what is going right. on? And there was a substitution later where Bennett, uh, Shedrick got a foul. So they were taking him out. And then Statman went to come in. But then it was like, no, wait, we want Poppy to come in. And so it even seemed like... <laughs> The coaches right. were a little bit lackluster too, in some respects. It was just an odd game, but talk about the front court uh, there with those two. Yeah, I mean, you kind of wonder. I mean, it's a little cliche, but maybe a little bit of a letdown from the Duke game, from yeah. having you know such an intense game in that game, and then coming up short in that game. Uh, you know, that being said, yeah, I mean, uh, just just watching, yeah, rewatch the final ten minutes of the Florida State game. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that'll put you in a bad mood for sure. <laughs> but I mean, it, you know, yeah, I mean, it just kind of felt like. You know, I, I do think Florida State's length and their defense. You know, I caught Florida State a few weeks ago when they played Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech just shredded them, uh, just especially from three. Now the the changes. You know, I think uh, H- Hamilton wasn't using those super tall guys as much, and he went to kind of a, a, a shorter lineup. And but you know, UVA, just, yeah, just, they just didn't they didn't look super sharp. That being said, they still had you know the, with you know, what, two minutes left, up seven, and it kind of starts there. Then you have a really bad turnover where Franklin tries to pass to Beekman and it goes off Reese's hands out of bounds. You know, that's kind of seems like a kind of just not being on the same page, kind of lack of focus or something like that. But in that scenario, you know, 26 seconds still left on the shot clock. If, if UVA just simply gets across the, you know, timeline or the half court line and is able to at least whittle down the shot clock to, to nothing, then, you know, you're up seven with, you know, a minute, 20 seconds left. Uh, but between that and, you know, Florida State, Florida State did make some some difficult shots, but there were difficult shots like at the rim. And, um, you know, so they were able to, to, uh, to get by UVA's defense and get inside and, 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 and capitalize. UVA down the stretch, the final 10 minutes missed, uh, you know, at least three open shots. Man, that's nothing new that from what we've seen from this this team. But, um, but yeah, between that and and some, you know, just turnovers and you know some missed free throws. You know, UVA definitely had their chances to to put away Florida State. 
I do think Florida State, again, I think their defense uh, contrasted from Virginia Tech uh, a couple weeks ago was better against Virginia. And I think the taller, the the size factor did play a play. A, uh, it did affect UVA's smaller guards like Franklin, you know, Beekman um, and, and especially Clark down the stretch. So, uh, you know, I think Florida State was playing tough, but, you know, still UVA had to really do some things to really help Florida State. And unfortunately, they did beginning with that you know, the final two minutes with that turnover, uh, just an easy pass to, to Beekman, and, you know, he wasn't ready for it or thought he was about to let, uh, you know, Franklin bring it up himself or something like that. Whatever happened, you know, just a just an unforced error uh, to, to, to give the ball back. And then, yes, I mean, UVA definitely, you know, had their chances. Uh, I think I've looked at the final uh the buzzer beater like 50 times wondering what <laughs> UVA could have done uh differently but you know i mean that's just a crazy kind of lucky shot you know yeah it's one of those things like and like bennett said if you let a team hang around and you aren't focused or or, or sound then that's what you what what can happen we've seen uva be the beneficiary of yep. uh, some of those types of plays or some of those yep uh, game ending plays before I'm, I'm sure the whole rest of the acc was just sort of doing one of these like uh, <laughs> gotcha Gotcha, UVA. For once, somebody hits one on you. But um, you know, the seven foot two guy uh, from Senegal hits like his second three pointer of the year. He hit that in the first half. This Prieto guy who's averaging three points a game comes off the bench, scores fourteen, hits two threes. You know, they only hit four threes all told. And I think the Cleveland, the guy that hit the game winner, only hit like four or five all season. So you know, it, it just was in something was in the air because you look across right. the landscape. Number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, all lost that same day. And number nine, it's never happened before where seven of the top 10 teams uh, lose on the same day. So bad for Clark and Statman. I just want to say, you know, senior day, Statman gets the start, plays 31 minutes, ends up getting one three-pointer. Basically, that was his uh, three points, two assists, one rebound. Clark plays all 40 minutes. I would have never guessed until I saw it in the box score that he was three of 16. It didn't seem like he had as many shots as Gardner. Maybe he took them all during that time when I went to get my uh, son the drink there. But, uh, you know, <laughs> 0 for 4 on threes, as hot as he was, as well as he played against Duke, it was just tough to see him kind of go out that way in his, in his final home game. Although we might get a home game or two in the NIT, right? Chris Wright, is that how that shakes out if we're the higher seed? <laughs> right now, they would not be a higher seed in the NIT. So, oh, boy. I don't think fans that are counting on that understand that if you're not first four out, you're not going to be a, a top seed in IT and then maybe a two seed, maybe, but right now that would be on the borderline of that. So beat Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> that, the, um, that could be a question too. Those guys have been playing better. So yeah, beat Louisville. Virginia has been good in that building, but there was a theme warning that Chris just kind of hit on there Two late game defensive collapses basically right so griffin scored 10 points in the last five minutes cleveland scored 10 points in the last two and a half minutes so when coach bennett is sitting in the florida state post game going we weren't sharp our defense wasn't there you know that sort of thing it, he's he's on the money there and i think i said last week virginia's been winning games with offense not defense so if there's anything more frustrating about this season than anything at least I bet to the coaches is that the defense isn't it's not even on the planet. It needs to be on. Yeah. I think you could argue it's not even in the solar system. It needs to be in. 
Like it's not consistent. It's gotten better, right? Like I get it. And I know like, get it. listen, there are ways that, that they could have maybe went leaned into offense, done this, all of that. Like I get all of the fan up and downs, but listen, if I always say you have to judge it by what coach Bennett and coach Williford and those guys are thinking they're going to start with defense first and the defense is not good and it's not consistently good. It's better, but it's still not good because look at the end of that Florida state game, right? Everybody's up in arms about the, the, the final play. What could have Virginia done different? I think that's what you asked, right? Like, so Virginia put a tall player on the inbounds pass. Florida State screened, the, uh, screened that person, screened Shedrick, to, to free up the vision for the passer. Is that Was that the wrong approach is the, the argument there. Cody Statman's in no man's land. I totally agree with that. I don't understand why Cody Statman needed to be as high up as he needed to be. Guarding the inbounder, pretty standard fare. That part, I okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> like That part I seems fine to be Florida yeah, I thought maybe Shedrick left his feet. He did. Like he almost went for the fake when you got to wait till the guy throws the ball, right? Almost. Uh, he, I don't know. He, he was coming over a screen. He jumped early. High stress, high whatever situation. Crap mm-hmm. happens. Right. And to me, here's the point I want to get to though. The issue with that last play, everyone keeps saying, "Where was Armand Franklin?" You want to know where Armand Franklin was? He was dealing with Jaden Gardner's responsibility. Jaden Gardner was in no man's land if you want to get right down to the point. So Florida State set up screen with Jaden Gardner's man. Clark recovered, so it was like a screen and a curl, so you can catch and try to shoot on the run. That was the primary look on this play, not Cleveland. So that happens. Gardner helps briefly, but then never recovers to his player coming off the screen. It's only a two-point game. You do have to guard that screen, because if he throws it full court at the rim to one of those, to the tall guy, right? They keep saying tall guys. (laughs) <laughs> you know, he lays it in or, or gets a short shot, whatever. You have to protect against that. Franklin was helping. If you go back and watch the replay, there is one baseline angle where you you can see what I'm talking about. Like Franklin helped on that. That made him late getting to Cleveland. And then Cleveland did his job. Caught, turn, shot all in one motion. Franklin did his job after that. Two hands up. Shot right. went in. Right. But someone being lost on defense, that in a nutshell is this season to me. They don't have consistent defensive deals where possession after possession after possession, game after game after game, they're locked in. And they don't have the firepower to overcome it. So, you know, fans want, you know, put the shooters on the floor. You get play it through offense. Again, that's potential. There's no guarantee that that would have worked. So I don't want to have that argument. I just want to argue what we have seen, which is – the defense isn't good enough. Go back to the possessions before that. Not only did Florida State score, they scored rapidly. Like there was no resistance at all. There was yeah. one where Gardner kind of was half-hearted on, on a hedge, uh, on a show. Guy got downhill and scored, right? And it was the only action of, of the possession. There was one where uh, they set a ball screen. Franklin helped like he was supposed to, but then had an awful closeout. Just lunged into the closeout. Cleveland ripped baseline, pulled up, made a shot. Just really, really poor defensive fundamentals, defensive awareness, all of that down the stretch. So you can argue all the things you want to argue about this whole season. To me, that's it. This program's identity is defense. It's making things hard on the other team. And you can see it at the end of the Duke game with with Griffin, I thought had two fairly comfortable shots against Shedrick. Not, Not great shots, but comfortable shots. And then Florida State had just no resistance on some of those shots until it got to the rim. I'm talking about the beginning of the action. At the rim, yeah, there was a guy there with his hand up or whatever. 
listen, these are division one athletes been playing basketball their whole life. If you think they're all that uncomfortable with a dude near them at the rim after they've had basically carte blanche to get to that point, <laughs> I got bad news for you. This is division one. <laughs> like, yeah. At that point, that plays over. So to me, that's it. Maybe they'll play this in the locker room. They'll be like, oh, there, who's that guy over there? <laughs> right. right. So to reemphasize, I bet what the coaches are saying when they go through film of that Florida State game and, and the Duke game as well. Like I said, I thought the Griffin possessions, even the one against Statman where he just overpowered Statman. And it was a tough, it was a tough two, but it was still like an aggressive, too easy. There wasn't a lot of action to get him into that. It was just mano a mano, boom. If you're going to hang your hat on defense, you got to be better at defense. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I was wondering about the maybe we saw some some letdown there. And it, back to Griffin, it, watching Duke earlier in the season, he he's made those kinds of shots. So you, he's you have to know that from he, three on on the year, right? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, and he's made <laughs> shots like in those like scenarios. And those also, were in rhythm. That's what I mean by yeah. comfortable. They were very right. rhythmic. Right. Yeah. And so if he if he gets a he, he doesn't have the quickest release, but if he gets a shot like that, then with that percentage, <laughs> there's a good chance that it's going to go down. But I guess Florida State is, again, watching that, you know, to Chris's point, those those easy baskets – or not those baskets where they were easily able to get to, get to the basket. And, yeah, tough shots at the rim. But as, as Chris mentioned, <laughs> you can't really count on them missing too many of those. But, uh, you know, just simple kind of screen and dives to the basket. I mean, that killed UVA. I think Prieto uh, ran those like uh, three times at least, and all three times was able to get right to the basket. And you know, I, as good as like as good as Jaden has been, as impressive as I've been, and he deserves a lot of credit for his hard work. And as 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 far as he's come defensively, I didn't think he was very good on those um, in the final final few minutes. His defense didn't seem to be as sharp. That's kind of why earlier I was wondering, okay, maybe the Duke game just took a lot out of the team, out of, uh, out of the team heading into, uh, heading into Florida state, which, you know, again, with, with so much to play for, uh, you know, that, that, that's unfortunate, but I guess when you have kind of a, a limited rotation as well, then, then, then stuff like that can happen. But yeah, the defense just, just, just really wasn't, uh, wasn't there, but even with that, EVA still had to have that, you know, that turn, that uh, careless turnover um, out, of, out of bounds, missed free throws. Uh, Virginia had at least, three open good open looks um in the final you know seven eight minutes if they can get any of those to go you know if franklin can make both of his foul shots um in the final uh what was it with 13 seconds left you know so much virginia had to do to lose the game but still for sure the defense uh and and yeah i mean i guess you want to I make mean, chris I, i'm anxious to add, uh hear your answer what, like what do you think so i mean you know the coaches have yet yeah, emphasized defense and we've been seeing the same kind of inconsistency all year long so um you know for you is that it how disappointing or discouraging is that kind of looking towards next season i guess just the fact that it hasn't been where we where we thought it could be we've seen some flashes but just not the consistency we're used to seeing not at all concerning mm -hmm. i mean I, i'm just that one it's months from now so mm -hmm. some of the guys that aren't here will be some of the guys that are here now may not be some of the guys, you know, who have not had a true offseason with Mike Curtis, right? Because the previous summer was pandemic summer. This summer, some of them didn't get here until late in terms of Milicic and guys like that. So just not worried about it. So a lot of stuff's going to change between now and next season. But beyond that, we've talked about this on the message boards over time, right? There seem to be these little pockets of time where things improve. So from zero to 250 minutes, guys stink. 
<laughs> right? In my career minutes, right? 250 to 500, start seeing signs. 500 to 800 starts getting pretty good with some inconsistencies. That's what 800 to 1,000 starts looking great. 1,000 minutes up in the system, guys start like suffocating other teams, right? Other than Clark, who on this team has any of those minutes? No one. <laughs> Beekman, I guess, is now over 1,000 minutes. He's the best defender on the team. You know, somewhere halfway through last season, halfway that 500 to 800 you know, minutes mark, he started looking like the best defender on the team. And that's only continued. He had foul trouble against Florida State. That was costly. But in general, he's the best defender on the team in terms of both on ball and off ball. He still has a little work to do off ball, but he's the best defender. Who else besides those two of those minutes? Kafaro is now at, I think, at 750-ish for his career. Shedrick's at 600 and something for his career. Franklin and Gardner are at whatever their minutes are for this year here at this school and this in this system, even though Franklin played Indiana pack line, you know, it's just different. No one else does. Statman, even Statman, as long as he's been here, practice minutes aren't the same thing as game minutes. So to me, I'm not worried about next season's defense because there are going to be a, at least some guys on the floor at all times that are going to be more in the thousand and up minutes range than the opposite, which is, 800 or less minutes range. And I think that's where the inconsistency comes from. Like, you know, it's, it's not a, I can't, I say this a lot. It's not a mythical defense. It's not hard. It's hard to do it all the time. <laughs> that's, that's true of any defense. The pack line's not any different in that sense. You see Duke's freshmen you know, mess up their defense all the time. Like yeah. it happens, <laughs> you know, it happens. It gets better with time. So that I think it will get better. The the bad part is Virginia does not know the way to overcome it. So it's it's the it's the both. It's not just the defense. It's the both. They don't have a way to overcome it when they can't shoot or they can't get to the free throw line or you know Florida State switched a lot. The you know that's something I thought showed up in both games. They they don't really have a switch beater. You know what I mean? Somebody can just go get you a bucket against a switch. Yep. You know Gardner can kind of do that. But who else can go just get a bucket against a switch all the time? So lots of things that 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 are happening at once that you're trying to squeeze that orange like, or ring the towel, like we said last week, that the, they've gotten a lot out of this group, but there are still limitations that inconsistency can cost them a game like Florida State. It also makes you appreciate what we've had in years past where you have a guy like Hunter or Harris or Brogdon. I mean, we've had some pretty good bucket getters when you're uh-oh five seconds left in the shot clock here you do something <laughs> with it <laughs> well and, and jerome jerome for sure yeah I mean, like even if it wasn't a bucket he could get a switch and then make make something happen in terms of somebody's going to get a decent shot here kihei has some of that kihei's been really good at that at times but he can't necessarily go beat all switches by himself because he can get blocked from behind um, because of his size you know that sort of thing it just kind of is what it is but, you know, he can sort of do it. Gardner can sort of do it. But there are certain types of matchups that can can slow those guys down, even on switches. Well, and, you know, defensively, guys, and we've talked about this uh, throughout the season, but, you know, if I had said we're going to hold Duke to 65, Ben Carroll less than 10 points, Florida State, we're going to hold them to 64, I think we probably would have felt pretty good about our chances. I mean, we 71, Miami got, and we beat them by three down there. So – they're in, you know, the game at Duke, 69-68. So th this team has been capable of hitting that that 70-point mark. Sometimes they've had to with the lackluster defense. But, you know, halfway through the first half, Florida State only had six points. Like, you should be up 20 by then. And we were only up seven or eight. And then you miss a couple shots. All of a sudden, they make a couple, and they're right back in the game. Like, <laughs> you play, you can't play much better defense than six points in 10 minutes. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
that comes back to that issue we were, we've been talking about of, of offense, you know, and, and Duke will make a mistake on defense. They come back down and hit a dagger three in your face, you know, so they, yeah. they have that confidence and just that ability where this team has uh, Jeromeness yet to find that. Yes. The, uh... <laughs> That's how you define that Jeromeness. <laughs> I'm going to hit a shot when it matters. Yes. Yes. So, all right. Well, any, uh, you guys want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, Kihei's career, I, I think deserves an, another mention. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit already, but a thousand points, 500 assists. Did you guys see that coming? First of all, when he was the first year here and what is he the fifth player ever to have those two distinctions? Uh, I think the 15th overall to have a thousand points. It's an incredible career and some of the most iconic plays in, in UVA history. So just uh a great career and you know he'll get to play at least a, a few more games here hopefully uh you know have a nice run and in, in the postseason and can just put a bow on it you know he was going out with a bang it looked like in that duke first half where hey my last week here i'm gonna gonna light somebody up and then unfortunately yeah. they didn't get the win so you know i know kihei's future is a little bit up in the air there was the quote in the richmond times where he's like he hadn't decided yet but then all the production around his final home game so former teammates, video messages, and all that kind of stuff seem to indicate he's leaving. You, you mentioned it, that during the game or the replay you were watching, the announcer is going, oh, Kihei should definitely come back another year and prove his professional chances and all that sort of stuff. And I'm sitting yeah. there going, I don't, I don't see that. Like, how can he improve his professional standing by coming back another year? I don't, what, what's he else is he going to prove? He's one of five guys who's ever done this. He's played, you know, quintillion minutes. <laughs> like, his role's not going to change. He's played every role he could possibly play here to sidekick his first year, to leading man his, his, his second year, to him and Huff, you know, the experienced carriers of, of the pandemic year while they were mixing in all those other pieces, Beekman and Murphy and Hauser around them. And then the, you know, kind of spot up, give this team some three option vibe off the ball, his, his fourth year, he's kind of done, but like leading off the ball guy versus supporting off the ball guy is his first year. So he's really played every role he can play. Like, How's he going to improve his professional standing? Like, I don't see, I just don't see it. I don't, I don't see that part of it. Now, if he wants to stay and work on a professional degree and talk about, you know, closing his career differently, you know, with this great incoming class coming in, he wants to go out kind of the same way he came in. That That's a different conversation than improve your professional standing. Like it was that phrasing of it that I just didn't buy. I could mm -hmm. see reasons to come back in terms of make sure you get the program back on track before you leave, you know, all that sort of stuff. And chase a, a you know add to your degree uh, progress because yeah I think he already has his undergrad degree or will you know so you know do, does he want to add to that so maybe the other option of course is to go play somewhere else meaning take the fifth year somewhere else I guess that's on the table if he wants to play closer to home and or if name image and likeness were to pay him a big chunk somewhere else so I guess that's maybe on the table for whatever reason I don't get that vibe but maybe I'm just reading it wrong. Then the, the, the third option is obviously go pro. I think he can play professional basketball somewhere next year, G league overseas. There are all kinds of options other than just the NBA, right? Like oh, yeah. I don't see the NBA. I just don't, but, and that's okay. Like, guess what? There's a whole lot of dudes out there that aren't good enough to play in the NBA that are really, really, really good at basketball, <laughs> you know? <laughs> 
it's not, it's, you're not a failure if you don't make the NBA. So I'm not saying it that way. I'm just saying, I just don't see it for that. The way that league is currently structured, it's different than when Muggsy Bogues played or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, fine. If the NBA is not on the table, there are other things. The Philippines keeps coming up on the message boards because of his heritage. You know, he could go to the Philippines and it's not the highest paying professional basketball league. He could probably make more money elsewhere, but is off the court side in the Philippines, considering his heritage, who knows what the, the limit is there. <laughs> you yeah. want to talk about name, image, and likeness as a professional in the Philippines with that heritage, like, you know, he, he may have a, a decent path there of nothing else. So yeah, he has decisions to make. I'm sure what he's thinking right now is let's own the Yum Center again. Let's go win the tournament, win the ACC tournament. I don't think he's worried about what those next decisions are, even though everyone else seems to be, because they're like, oh, the season's over. What's uh, KK coming back? <laughs> right? People are in that like in that meandering mode that that I was talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean. It, I don't know if it would be enough for him to to come back, but as far as uh, it's kind of hard to believe that you know after the national championship run, I guess you know Virginia has not won a NCAA tournament and has only played in one game since uh, since then. I guess you know obviously because of you know not having uh, that the the tournament the one year and then because of the season ending and then you know the COVID year with how that ended so you know if if he wants to um you know hopefully end it on a better note you know you wonder if that could be a consideration but yeah i mean it seems up in the i mean with with as much family as he had come down uh for the duke and and for the florida state game it doesn't feel to me that at least at the very least that the decision has been made yet so um so we'll see but yeah i mean what a fantastic you know coming out of high school really filled the role that he needed to fill perfectly and above that i mean virginia does not win uh the ncaa tournament without uh just in terms of you look at not just the pass uh against purdue but the oregon game and he was huge in that game Uh, unbelievable so it's a shame that he's been it's kind of and kind of hard for me to believe a little bit. I know, you know, I think he has to toe, you know, given his size, he has to toe the line sometimes with being overly aggressive, which kind of leads to making bad decisions. So I can understand it can be maddening at times watching Kia play, but uh, it's it's kind of hard for me to understand still why he's so divisive uh, among the fan base. So that's and that's unfortunate given how important he was in UVA's only national championship run so yeah he, he'll always be remembered for that and I, you know also just you know the, the the story from cbs 19 on cody statman and what he's kind of gone through as far as you know persevering through a i guess kind of a heart type type condition that and he was able to you know come back and play but it was kind of touch and go there uh, but remaining committed to the program and and you know doing doing what he can so that, those are kind of the stories that you like to hear and um, um, and that you, you know, give you a better sense of, of the player and what they're going through and things like that. So, but, you know, whatever Kihei does, you know, I just wish him all the best and, and what, a you know, his, uh, like Statman said after the game, his mark that he made on Virginia basketball should live on for a long time, uh, given what, given what he's done. And I do though think if he does move on, Virginia does need another ball handler for next year. <laughs> I mean, they have Beekman, but, you know, and, and Armand is, uh, okay but he's kind of had some spotty moments here in terms of ball handling when guys uh, get up on him so that could be an interesting topic for postseason if uh if Kihei doesn't come back but no mm-hmm. just uh, it, it was unfortunate those guys can come come away with a win against uh FSU on Saturday but who knows uh with with the way the season's going maybe they can make a run in the ACC tournament 
Just one thing that comes up on the message board uh, in terms of big moments in the NCAA tournament run. Don't forget Gardner Webb. Virginia, uh, Virginia was Down reeling. For it. They yeah. were reeling <laughs> late in that first half. And who hit a corner three to kind of go, yo, y'all. Like, I wasn't here last year. I don't know what all this, like, panic is about. We're the better <laughs> team here, man. Like, it had that kind of yep, whatever it that. is about Kihei, right? Like, he's got something that his teams win a lot of games. Not as many this year as, as, as Virginia fans have wanted. But over the course of the time of him playing basketball, his teams win a lot of games. So that one, that one was big, and it comes up on the message board a lot. That that three against Gardner Webb seemed to give everybody a chance to breathe for a second, and then once they breathed, they they were fine. They dominated the game really after that. Well, and that was a hallmark of that team. You know, people think of the, you know, the three headed monster of guy and and Ty and, and Hunter, but that steadiness off the bench was a different dynamic that Kie helps to bring in the year you know, following UMBC. And I was telling my, my wife, as we're sitting in the, the upper deck for the, the Florida state game, you know, if you think about it, like Clark and Beekman specifically, this is probably like the most they've ever lost <laughs> on any basketball team they've ever played on. So, you know, these guys are like, what is even going on here? Like, let's keep winning. Like, like we are winners. We, that's what we do, you know? So I, I, could see, you know, but like we were talking about earlier, the rotations and some of the things from these past couple of months, kind of tightening the screws there a little bit. Will that come back to to haunt us a little bit when you kind of have to win the ACC tournament to get to the the big dance? You got to play what four games in four days, and or is it five? No, It'll be, yeah, they're, they're either the six or the seven seed. Almost, I think, like I forget what the percentage is. A really high percentage they're going to be the six seed. So four games. We've been in the top four so long. I forget how it works for the. uh... Right, exactly. (laughs) There's an outside possibility, actually, of still getting a double buy, but it requires all kinds of losses happening elsewhere. So it's not going to happen. But mathematically, it's technically still possible, I think. But steadiness off the bench uh, during the title run is a good point. And that's something that this team does not have. It does not have a deep bench. So it's Statman and Shedrick. Statman solid but is up and down in terms of what the stat line looks like you know what i mean like how many shots does he take how many rebounds you know that that sort of stuff isn't always um robust so you know it's not always production off the bench even though it's a little bit of steadiness off the bench in his case and then shedrick i feel like really 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 highs at times and has been really kind of mediocre a few times um depending on which game you're talking about and both he and kafaro struggled defensively against florida state so I understood rewatching the replay versus live why the coaches tried to go small, particularly with Florida state pressing out. Anyway, mm-hmm. those two guys really struggled defensively at times in the first 30 minutes. So I kind of understood it more looking back at it, but yeah, bench consistency. Cause remember up until when Kafaro was starting, when he went crazy against Virginia tech up until the Virginia tech game, he was kind of up and down too, in terms of production off the bench. So that's been a big, big story of the whole year is what, what happens off the bench. Is there enough? Will there be enough for four games in four days if they can even put themselves in that position, that sort of thing? Yeah. Well, and, uh, that something you said there brought to mind, is there any thought, and I know there probably isn't, but pack line is the pack line. But I think my expectation from the beginning of the year was Franklin, you know, 
Beekman and, and Clark being such good on ball defenders, Franklin obviously was kind of a question mark in the mix, but having those three guys put more and more and more pressure on whatever front court we were playing and almost, almost reverse the pack line somehow and play, just keep more pressure than we've had in years past because that was the strength of this particular team defensively. I don't know. Do we, is there time to even switch that up in, in, at this point, since we're in kind of desperation mode at this point in the season, or or not switch it up to what? Just no, 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 no gaps. Full court defense. press, like yeah, full court press. <laughs> yeah, I mean they, like they one the man jump, press a lot. You know? Yeah, they one man press a lot, right? With either Kihei or, or Beekman or Franklin picking the ball up well, by themselves. But if you mean like full court pressure with it's a the one man, never seems to do much. Well, like the, the one man the is designed. Yeah, the one man up. is designed to shorten the clock. Okay, it's a thirty second clock. If you don't start until twenty two seconds. You know, the, the other four guys on the floor don't have to be as consistent with <laughs> with their help and their movement yeah, and all that. Yeah. Like, that. That's the point. Could they go full court pressure? Other than those three, like who do you see on this team that would be really good at full court pressure? Gardner wouldn't be. I don't think Shedrick maybe at the back end to clean up mistakes. Maybe. Yeah, I don't think yeah. Afaro would be as good in that role. There's certainly no one deeper on the bench that you can throw into that. I don't think I don't see McCorkle right. or Murray or any of those guys based on what we've seen being like some sort of great all-out pressure team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then it, it, so if you're not playing the bench, now you're going to wear those guys down beyond what they're already worn down. Like, so yeah. I don't see that. Then you go, okay, would you, could you go to a Villanova type of pressure, like a more of a zone, like a one, two, two, or something like that, mm-hmm. where it's not designed to turn the, turn it over, but maybe you get a few deflections. Maybe you trap out of it sometimes. Maybe that's an option, but the amount of practice time it would require to be really good at, we're going to trap this time, but not this time. Yeah. That, uh, there's just not enough on it. And that's one reason Bennett doesn't do it to begin with mm-hmm. is that it takes so much time to be good at the primary defense, change up yeah. defenses to be good at the change up also would require time. Mm-hmm. And he, he sees that as dilution, right? right? If you're spending too much time on too much stuff, you're not going to be good at the few things that you need to be great at. Mm-hmm. Um, for it to work here so yeah pro- probably not particularly with the personnel though like yeah those three could do it but i don't see how it fits with a five five people on the floor i don't see how an all-out press would work yeah well and uh, shout out to Jaden nixon to uh fourth year from here in charlottesville you know he in this day of everybody you know moving and <laughs> having the freedom to to transfer and whatnot the portal uh, as we say often on the show you know, he's stuck with it. And, um, you know, those guys are key guys in, in the practice rooms. And, you know, who knows? So those guys can end up being uh, good coaches down the line. There's some pretty good money in the coaching profession these days, as I understand. So, uh, <laughs> right, Chris, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know about that. High school coach and you're rolling in it, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, um, guys, as we look ahead, one more uh, against Louisville. They're 12 and 16. They've... Uh, been scuffling here of late since they've had the changeover of coaches after the loss to UVA. Let me check here and see. I don't think they've won a game with the new coach yet. Maybe one. They won at, uh, at home against Clemson, looks like. But that has been it. And there's been about seven or eight games since then. So they get uh, to end their season at uh, Virginia Tech and then home to Virginia, who, as we mentioned, loves to play in the Yum Center. So uh, Chris Horn, any any final words as we uh, are into March Madness now? I guess. 
Yeah, hopefully they can. You know, I think the the week off will hopefully help UVA rejuvenate a little bit, and then go into uh, to Louisville and and hopefully take care of business there. And you know, that to me, they you know they definitively need a win uh, over Louisville to get some momentum going into the tournament. So, um, yeah, it would be tough to to make a run, but I think you know you have to get some good vibes back um, after after a bummer of a week uh this past week and and hopefully they can do that and 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 uh and get rolling in the ACC tournament. Remember that first matchup Virginia blitzed them early. Louisville got all the way back within 4, got all the way back within 5 in the second half. And that was also a Louisville team in dysfunction and not necessarily playing well because obviously they fired their coach shortly after that. <laughs> they suspended Malik Williams, I believe, after that for a brief time. So I, I don't know that, that that's what they've been doing plays into what they will do Saturday. You know what I mean? Like I think particularly on their last regular season home game for them, they may come ready to play. So I think Virginia needs to assume as such and maybe try to get back on track. This was the first time all season Virginia lost back-to-back. You know, they had avoided that all year, and now you're looking at maybe if you can't win on the road, do you end the year on a three-game losing streak, momentum in terms of going into the postseason, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but I would not expect, you know, an easy, you know, no big deal, this team is dysfunctional. Like, they were dysfunctional when they were here. <laughs> so And they were within four halfway through and within five late. So, yeah. and that was after absolutely killing them early. It was something like a 15, 17 point game out of the gate. So we'll see. Malik Williams can be a tough matchup, you know, because he can step away and, and hit. He hit two threes against Virginia the first time. Um, he's one of those kind of rangy guys that can give Kafaro and Shedrick trouble. He's too big for Gardner in theory. He could probably shoot over Gardner. So, you know, there's that. Noah Locke obviously was on Virginia's radar at times uh, in terms of the recruiting process, all that kind of stuff. He had an awful game against Virginia the first time. Will he be motivated? Hey, I want to light him up. You know, that sort of thing. So keep, keep an eye on, you know, how, what, what does Louisville look like or feel like? I guess if they come out mediocre and not caring, then you can buy into this. They're dysfunctional. But going into it, like, yeah, it didn't look that way the first time. And they fired their coach the, like two days later. So <laughs> better be ready yeah. to play. Yeah, they lost big to Wake Forest, but you know Wake Forest is showing that they're pretty capable of putting that on uh, several teams, um, making uh, some big offensive runs. But yeah, I mean Louisville's got some decent players, so if they, you know, if they are ready to play and and they come out fired up, you know Virginia needs to be ready. So hopefully that's why you know hopefully you know coming off of the bummer of two losses that uh, you know UVA can kind of regroup a little bit and then come back in focused and ready to play to finish off the regular season the right way and then and then uh, get some momentum kind of built back up uh, for the ACC tournament. But, yeah, Louisville, Louisville's capable, I mean, for sure. Well, I guess you want to end up, you know, 12 and 8 in the, the conference season so that you assure yourself of at least tying uh, Virginia Tech. You don't want them sneaking ahead of you there in the uh, – the final standings for the conference season so a little extra motivation but um well that'll do it for uh, this edition of the saber.com podcast as always like subscribe follow and share and uh yeah i mean baseball's going across it's going it looking good for uh for the who's on those fronts and obviously uh swimming and diving doing their thing so for, uh, for Chris Wright and Chris Horn, I'm Jeff Swebin. Thanks for listening, everybody, to the Saber.com podcast.